Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for joining us today at the Study of Antiquity and the Middle Ages. I'm your host, Nick Barksdale, and today I am pleased to bring you a very special guest, Dr. Scott. Dr. Scott is going to be doing an awesome lecture and presentation on none other than the Phoenicians and the impact that they have made throughout world history that echoes even into today. Dr. Scott, it's a pleasure to have you here, sir. Thank you. Pleasure's all mine. We appreciate that you've actually taken the time to join us today. Whenever someone like you does that, it really says a lot, not just about you and your desire to educate, but it also really humbles us here at the Study of Antiquity in the Middle Ages, and we truly appreciate your time. Very nice for you to say, to say that, sir. Before we get started, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, uh, my name's Dr. John C. Scott. Um, my background is in higher education administration but with a specialty in the history of colleges and universities. And I've done historical syntheses on, uh, well, a topic you, you might like, the Middle Ages, the medieval university. I did my dissertation, and it was published as a book, I'm happy to say. Later on, I did another uh, big synthesis of the Chautauqua movement, which is an American um, educational unit, uh, movement in the uh, 19th and early 20th centuries for um in the field of adult education so uh later on uh, after those studies were done i was thinking about the phoenicians and i've always been interested in in their accomplishments at sea and uh, the alphabet uh, as a cultural influence and so i got to thinking about all the kind of listing mentally uh, all the various in cultural influences of the phoenicians and carthaginians and i decided to put together a um a study of, on, on the Phoenicians and their influence on Western civilization. Very awesome. Yeah. And I honestly, I can't wait to get into this. The paper that I discovered by you, which is what led me to contact you about doing this to begin with, was really interesting. I found it to be fascinating. The Phoenicians and, of course, the Carthaginians are also a subject that I've always found to be incredibly interesting, but especially the Phoenicians in general and the fact that they were able to establish such an impact through trade and their own almost sea-based economy is something that I always found just absolutely fascinating. I'm starting to really study the history of business in general, especially in the ancient and medieval worlds, and really, you can't do that without studying the Phoenicians. And uh, honestly, I can't wait, and I'm going to let you take it from here. Thank you very much. A more recent field of inquiry, Phoenician and Punic studies, which is Carthaginian, studies nevertheless cover much the same time and geographical areas as archaic, classical, and Hellenistic Greek and Roman history. Phoenicia, a small maritime region, lay on the eastern Mediterranean coast. The Phoenicians, who were Semites, emerged as a distinct Canaanite group around 3200 BC. Hemmed in by the Lebanon mountains, their first cities were Byblos, Sidon, Tyre, and Aradas or Arwad. Scholars generally agree that there are two sources of the Western tradition, Judeo-Christian doctrine and ancient Greek intellectualism. There is also recognition that Western civilization is largely built atop the Near Eastern civilizations of Mesopotamia and Egypt, which were the first in the world. The proximity of Europe to the Near East, hence Near region, explains cultural interaction. A basic question arises, however, as to which antique people specifically prepared the way for the West to develop. While early Aegean cultures are often viewed as the mainspring, assessment of the growing literature reveals that the maritime city-states of Phoenicia stimulated during the Bronze Age 
and fostered during the Iron Age Western civilization. The principal axis of Eastern influence, Phoenicia sent forth pioneering seafarers, skilled engineers, gifted artists, artisans, and the master entrepreneurs of antiquity, as you said. Yeah. <laughs> Through a peaceful long distance exchange network of goods and ideas, they influenced the trade, communication, and civilizational development of the Mediterranean basin, notably Greece. The height of Phoenician shipping, mercantile, and cultural activity was during the early Greek archaic period, especially the orientalizing phase circa 750 to 650 BC, which appears to have laid the foundations for 5th century BC classical Greece. Let's begin with the Bronze Age. On the island of Crete, the Minoan civilization of the Middle Bronze Age, circa 2000 to 1450 BC, combined with later Mycenaean Greek contributions, is duly acknowledged as the forerunner to classical Greece, which elevated Western civilization. The starting point, observes Stuart W. Manning, was the intensification of Eastern trade on the island, coinciding with the early state status and palace building activity of the cities, notably Gnosis. Many archaeologists agree that the emerging Noan elite gradually began to import Near Eastern prestige products and technologies, such as advanced sailing ships. Found within the monumental buildings are exotic materials and luxury products, gold, ivory, and faience. New metalworking techniques were also introduced. Thus, the evidence may suggest some kind of state-level relations with the Egyptian Middle Kingdom, perhaps via the Levantine coast. Architecturally, the palaces are built in the Mesopotamian tradition of organic or informal design, including central courtyards, orthostat facades, long corridors, drains, and figural painted frescoes. By importing monumental construction techniques, Minoan elites seem to have been emulating their Near Eastern counterparts. L. Vance Watros points to Near Eastern inspiration for architecture, Cretan hieroglyphic and linear A, and thus Mycenaean linear B, syllabic writing, clay tablets, and sophisticated sealing practices as major elements in the administrative model. In economic history, late Bronze Age political stability, which included royal protections, but also rules for merchants and traders, spurred commerce. The Phoenician business model of the Bronze and Iron Ages represents an inheritance from Mesopotamia. Summer to Babylonia to Assyria to the Canaanite city states on the coast. Thus, mixed enterprise flourished as the crown, public, and merchants private each contributed capital to invest in manufacturing and long-distance trade. In Phoenicia proper at Byblos was created a remarkable 22-letter alphabetic writing system known as Phoenician. Aside from its diplomatic and cultural merits, the commercial value of the Phoenician alphabet aided the region in its rise as a mercantile empire during the Iron Age. Simultaneously, it aided in the ongoing transfer of high culture from the Near East to the West. Sweeping across the Eastern Mediterranean at the close of the Bronze Age, circa 1200 BC, were the invading or displaced uh, sea peoples from the Aegean. The Hittite Empire collapsed the Kingdom of Ugarit, sweeping across the Eastern Mediterranean at the close of the Bronze Age, circa 1200 BC, were the invading or displaced sea peoples from the Aegean. The Hittite Empire collapsed, the Kingdom of Ugarit was permanently destroyed, and Egypt went into decline despite the victory of Ram. Fortunately, the Phoenician cities survived. One theory is that they allied themselves with the Sea Peoples. 
Ill-fated, the Mycenaean palatial society also fell, and thus Greece entered its dark age. Western culture was devastated and now largely isolated from the cosmopolitan Near East. Creating a vast mercantile network, as well as filling the Aegean vacuum, was Phoenicia. Subsequently, Phoenician civilizational influence spanned another thousand years and traversed the Iron Age, impelling the Occident. A full millennium, circa 1200 to 200 BC, is the time scale for the combined Phoenician and Carthaginian commercial empires. The region of Phoenicia, part of northern Canaan, held a collection of entrepreneurial city-states. The major Iron Age cities were Tyre, Sidon, Byblos, Aradus, Beirut, and Sarapta, with the coastal land and ports extending from Aradus south to Dor in northern Israel. Robert Steiglitz remarks that the internationalism of the Late Bronze Age was soon replaced by the flowering of the Phoenician Renaissance, unquote. World historian Jerry H. Bentley points out that maritime commerce actuated cultural integration of the Mediterranean Bay, initiated by the Phoenicians, then followed by the Greeks, who reflected the Phoenician pattern, and Romans, merchants organized networks of exchange and distribution. These networks encouraged the division of labor and the building of states. Susan and Andrew Sherratt concur that Phoenician mercantile and cultural activity prompted European state formation, first in the Aegean, then in Italy and Spain. Phoenician influence, economic and mercantile, nautical and long distance trade routes, exploration and colonization, art and architecture, mining, metallurgy and glass, salt production, large scale agricultural and cultural, including the West and most of the world's alphabet, the book and literacy were mainly westerly in direction. Territorial colonies were established in Cyprus, mineral-rich Sardinia and Iberia, Spain and Portugal, the Blaric Islands, Sicily, Malta, and agriculturally rich North Africa, first Utica and Carthage. Exploration and colonization went past the difficult Strait of Gibraltar or Pillars of Hercules. Hercules was originally a Venetian hero. The Atlantic coasts of Africa and Europe and perhaps the British Isles were discovered. Led by Tyre, the mercantile network was headquartered on the eastern shore of the Mediterranean. High-quality cedar and fir forests on the mountain slopes were ideal for building ships, as well as for export or tribute. This geographic location was crucial to the success of the maritime and overland enterprise. Canaan was blessed with excellent harbors and to be part of the Fertile Crescent. Through it laid the caravan routes that connected to Egypt, Arabia, and through it, the Indian market, Asia Minor, Mesopotamia, and later to the Silk Road. By 1200 BC, the Phoenicians were building large merchant ships. In world maritime history, declares Richard Woodman, they are recognized, quote, as the first true seafarers, founding the art of pilotage, cabotage, and navigation, and the architects of the first true ship, built of planks, capable of carrying a dead weight cargo, and being sailed and steered, unquote. Master shipbuilders during the Bronze Age, they laid a keel and ribs for strength in rough weather. For sturdy hulls to check wave and hold cargo, pegged mortise and tenon joints were developed on the Levantine coast. This method spread westward and it became standard until the late Roman period. The hull was rounded for faster movement through the water. The brailed rig sail, so vital because it enabled tacking against the wind, was likely a Levantine innovation. Transport amphora pottery, that became standardized for volume in use and imitated for over 2,000 years until Byzantine times was invented in Phoenicia. In stellar navigation, the North Star was discovered, 
which the later Greeks called the Phoenician Star. This enabled sailing at night on shorter distance open water routes. They apparently invented the Mediterranean windrows and the crow's nest. The first evidence of maritime law also appears in the the Levant. Iron Age contributions include the art of cartography, the first artificial and self-cleaning or flushing harbors, such as those in Sidon, Tyre, Atlet, and Accra, as well as the Western colonies, which we'll talk about. And finally, the revolutionary double-decked war galley or warship. The Phoenicians pioneered mass production. Their region, for example, emerged as a leading producer of glass, which now included transparent glass. Finished articles such as flasks and beads by the thousands were shipped across the Mediterranean. In Spain, wheel-turned pottery was introduced and mass-produced. The Carthaginians mass-produced ships. Parts were labeled with the Punic alphabet. Their most famous product, the expensive Tyrian and Sidonian purple dye, was exported either as powder or as dyed fabric, especially wool. The Greeks ascribed the ethnic name of Phoenicians, derived from the word phonos, meaning red, probably because of their red to violet cloth. The royal purple of the ancient monarchies, as in Rome, became the Western standard of imperial adornment. Since Phoenicia was the ancient world's trading hub, its highly skilled craftspeople gained knowledge of and worked with all types of materials, techniques, and artistic styles. Foreign states often called upon its engineers, hence both Solomon's temple and his palace were constructed by imported Phoenician artisans. As sea merchants in the West, they brought Mesopotamian astronomy and weights and measures, as well as their own Phoenician alphabet, a phonetic code, not a pictographic system, to build words. This simplified writing system did not require professional scribes, as in Egypt and Mesopotamia, and it could be written on a variety of media. A long-distance network of trade involved contracts, correspondence, and record-keeping. Transferable to other languages, the Alitarian alphabet was and is easy to learn in fixed sequence. The height of Phoenician shipping in the Aegean was during the 8th and early 7th centuries BC. States Glen Marco, the archaeological distribution of Finnish goods, including Egyptian and Assyrian wares, points to a, quote, Phoenician commercial channel to the Greek mainland, unquote. Direct trade and cultural exchange took place in the coastal cities, such as Eleusis, Argos, and especially Corinth. The title of the synthesis, The Orientalizing Revolution, Near Eastern Influence on Greek Culture in the Early Archaic Age by Walter Burkert, exhorts Hellas-centered classicists. Its theme, the formative epoch from circa 750 to 650 BC, known as the Orientalizing Period, was decisive. Under the influence of the high culture of the Semitic East, Assyrian, Phoenician, Aramean, Greece laid the foundations to create a culture that would eventually dominate the Mediterranean, classical civilization. The most important transmission was the Phoenician alphabetic script. Mycenaean Linear B had uh, already died out. Along with the concept of the book, Semites contributed traditional Mesopotamian literary forms, techniques, and motifs uh, beyond the Phoenician um, pantheon that find strong parallels in Hesiod, Homer, and Aesop. Mentioned above are the scientific traditions of nautics, astronomy, and weights and measures. Another Eastern, including Phoenician tradition, was fine music, inherited by the Greeks and handed down to the European Middle Ages. Phoenicia conveyed the religious sport festival 
and Athletic Stadium, which is Monument's architecture, forerunning the celebration of the Olympic Games. Marshall McLuhan, who famously quipped, the medium is the message, and Robert K. Logan, in studying the alphabet, conclude that it is much more than an efficient form of writing communication. The alphabetical order, like numerical system, is how societies organize information. Early examples are the Greek numbering system and the first alphabetization of books cataloged in the library in Alexandria. Beyond literacy and organization, the alphabet stimulates both abstract and rational thought through the phonetic coding and decoding process. As a result, the adoption of Phoenician letters, especially in Ionia and Athens, created an intellectual environment for the development of Greek and subsequently Western science. Orientalizing art is principally represented by fine metalworking, ivory, carving, jewelry, such as gold filigree, granulation, and so on, ceramics, and the first large-scale architecture. Presumably, communities of resident craftsmen within Greek cities introduced the leading-edge technical skills, styles, and iconography of the industries of their Phoenician homeland, a process of indigenous apprenticeship. Greece's first monumental temples and statuary are based on an Eastern prototype, and they appeared during the 8th century BC. Architectural features that were adopted include the Phoenician Proto-Aeolic capital, forerunner of the Ionic capital, and Ashlar masonry. Greek emulation of the great Near Eastern buildings is evident. The Phoenicians also acted as intermediaries to carry Egyptian architectural techniques to Hellas. For the interior of buildings beyond plaster, other materials used were wood, cedar, paneling, for example, Solomon's Temple with inside alabaster slabs and stucco in the Western Phoenicia and Punic world. Originally, Phoenicians of the Bronze Age developed lime mortar with hydraulic properties from which the Greeks evolved true cement. Subsequently, the Romans would produce concrete. Additionally, the example of Phoenicians' distant voyages and colonization was followed by the Greeks. Starting in the 8th century BC, the Euboeans and Corinthians led the colonization movement. Classicist Richard A. Billows affirms this meant learning the ship construction, technology, navigation skills, and east-west trade routes of the Phoenicians. On mainland Italy, Phoenician contact is evident by the 10th century BC, and regular exchange commenced in the 9th century. The strong orientalizing tradition circa 750 to 580 BC touching the whole of Italy, involved both goods and ideas. Structurally, orientalization is, is associated with the emergence of cities, urban planning, moreover, coincides with the formation of Italian city-states. The architectural traditions of Etruria, largely Asian and Greek, were later transferred to Rome. Etruscan orientalizing, as in Spain, is characterized by emulation, including the model of the Eastern court's stately display. Phoenician imports or their imitation include the following. Early togas and the use of the color purple, crown, ceremonial axe, scepter, horse, chariot, throne, banqueting equipment, and seals. These Eastern symbols of political authority were passed on to the Romans. Subsequently, there arrived Greek colonists and merchants. Spreading Hellenic culture early in the 8th century BC, they introduced Greco-Phoenician letters to form the Etruscan alphabet. In turn, it was transmitted and adopted by the Romans, which is the city of modern Cadiz, Spain, in Iberia, was founded west of the Strait of Gibraltar. The new chronology suggests 
Phoenician contact in the 10th century BC and settlements already in the 9th century in the Atlantic coast mining region known as Tartessos. Colonies with an agricultural dimension spread all across the southern Mediterranean coast of Spain. There is consensus on the local Late Bronze Age culture, that is, before Phoenician colonization and the introduction of iron, starting in the 8th century BC. Iberia was proto-urban, displaying simple ground plans in some areas. Likewise, its tribal groups were in a transitional phase toward early state formation. Scholarship thus focuses on the Phoenician period as related to the formation of Iberian culture and its first cities beginning around 600 BC. The Iberian orientalizing phase embraced the late 8th and 7th centuries BC. Phoenician workshops introduced their repertoire of artistic techniques, materials such as gold, silver, and glass, and styles for the production of choice goods. Technological transfers were iron, metallurgical techniques, the potter's wheel, and carts and chariots are the oldest wheeled vehicles in Iberia. It is generally accepted, observes Maria Carme Bilarte, that indigenous peoples adopted certain new elements, such as a rectangular floor plan, buildings with a complex built ground plan, building materials such as lime, techniques of adobe wall construction, and the like. Uh, Phoenicia proper colonization in Iberia faded with the fall of Tyre to the Neo-Babylonians under Nebuchadnezzar in 573 BC. Yet Punic Carthage gradually assumed leadership of the Phoenician cities and it founded new colonies. Then the center of Phoenician mercantilism shifted to Carthage. Beyond the Phoenician Punic economic, technological, and cultural transformation of the Mediterranean, long a Phoenician lake between their Indian and Atlantic Ocean operations is another topic. Receiving less attention is the formative development of the Atlantic facade of Europe by a Near Eastern maritime people. Barry Cunliffe, however, credits Phoenician, quote, entrepreneurs from the Mediterranean intent on exploring the commercial potential of the ocean fringe. In this way, Atlantic Europe, for the first time, confronted Mediterranean civilization, unquote. Tyre during the 9th century BC directed this far west capital investment and settlement through its family-linked aristocracy at Gades, um, Cadiz, Spain. It was founded as an island colony and industrial center with port or ports upon the Atlantic. Colonies were also planted well north into Portugal and south about 400 miles to Mogador, profiting from the trade of, the, of West Africa and the Sub-Saharan. Partnering with the Tartesian elite, the merchants of Gades negotiated mineral rights and the regional trade network. Southwest Iberia held the most abundant silver deposits in the ancient world. While there existed proto-historic indigenous mining, the Phoenicians introduced iron tools, announcing the Iberian Iron Age to replace their uh, stone tools. Advanced smel smelting techniques and copulation and systematic operations resulting in a boom of silver production. For Portugal, Ana Margarita Aruda identifies orientalizing zones with peaceful Phoenician colonization, both coastal and inland, as far north as the Mondego River estuary at Santa Olea. Specifically, the evidence proves our agricultural development and salt exploitation. Ideal for maritime-based commerce, the natural anchorages of Portugal could accommodate the large Phoenician Punic ships. 
Indeed, an artifact discovery of these vessels fitted out for the ocean would rank among the most important watercraft in the history of seafaring. On the Iberian Atlantic facade, Phoenician and Punic sailors named several prominent capes. As in the Mediterranean, the Atlantic coastal settlements and harbors, many still in use, were selected for their advantages relative to long-distance maritime commerce. Rome would inherit both the Iberian and Northwest African entrepôts and operations on the Atlantic. In the Punic Atlantic, skilled Carthaginian sailors may well have discovered the Azores Islands. Seeking to expand its Atlantic markets, Carthage sponsored two recorded voyages of exploration. Leaving Carthage, the fleet of Hanno coasted south, at least to Senegal, and perhaps as far as Cameroon. Himlico, embarking from Gades, sailed north, at least to northern Brittany, and quite possibly across the channel to the British Isles. Phoenician Carthage was founded on the fertile coast of central North Africa in the late 9th century BC. Strategically, it stood on the axis of the east-west commercial route between the Levant and the Atlantic. Likewise, it anchored north-south route to mainland Italy. After Tyre fell during the 6th century BC, Carthage became fully independent. The city-state led and expanded the western Phoenician colonies, founded new colonies, and acquired the ports of Corsica. There emerged a highly diversified economy, shipbuilding, fishing, also in the Atlantic area, mining, investment, and trade, especially Punic, Sardinian, and Punic Iberian mining, uh, slave trade, wholesale export of foreign commodities, as well as their celebrated agriculture. The independent Punic Carthage from 550 to 146 BC was a mercantile and political superpower in the West. The Republic was on a level with the Eastern powers and Greece. Indeed, the maritime economy of Carthage, the, the world's greatest sea power, was based upon and regulated by a system of written commercial agreements. Over 250 years of peace with budding Rome involved four treaties. The first was signed in 509 BC to become Rome's earliest authentic record. The peak of Carthage's power was during the fourth century BC. Once dependent upon um, imported food supplies, the metropolis now exported its agricultural surplus, especially wheat. Consequently, Carthage became an agrarian empire as well as a maritime power. Its prosperity is validated by vast reserves of gold and silver. Chandler's 1987 census for 200 BC ranks Carthage and Rome with populations of around 150,000 each, the largest cities in the West. Carthage was also likely the richest city on earth, which was the view of the ancients. Carthage, Carthaginian nautical Achievements loom large in maritime history. Ship construction was standardized. Prefabricated components were marked with Punic alphabetical letters, allowing for the rapid assembly of large numbers of craft. Invented was a dry dock for ship repair. Lighthouses were employed during the Punic Roman Wars as a system of optical signaling. On the subject of mil militarily in the Punic Wars, Hannibal distinguished himself as a general. That was the Second Punic War. Yet total destruction of Carthage ended the Punic Wars in 146 BC. Julius Caesar launched the rebuilding of, of the vital ports of Corinth and Carthage. Roman Carthage grew into a provincial capital and the focal point of the developing Latin or Western non-Greek church. Earlier in 64 BC, Rome annexed 
Phoenicia. The Phoenicians would be among the first Gentiles to adopt Christianity. In North Africa, Punic elites were among the most upwardly mobile in the empire and well-established in the Roman Senate. Thus, the able Septimius Severus rose to become emperor from 193 to 211 AD, and the Severan dynasty lasted until 235. He likely founded the famous law school in Beirut. Um, his second wife was from that region. Carthage, a center of classical learning, produced the first outstanding Latin Christian author, Tertullian, um, circa 160 to 230 AD, and he was the original Western Church father. Tertullian is credited with, with shaping the theological vocabulary and thought employed in the Latin language. The distinguished theologian St. Cyprian became Bishop of Carthage in 248 AD. Cyprian suffered martyrdom just as Saints Perpetua and Felicitas did for their orthodoxy. Ultimately, the chief architect of Latin church theology was St. Augustine, who lived from 354 to 430 AD. Uh, he was a bishop of Hippo. Having a Christian mother, St. Monica, in Numidia, his background was Punic. He appreciated the still-spoken language. Augustine was educated and taught in Carthage. A profound influence upon Western civilization, in order to understand the currents of thought in the Middle Ages, a knowledge of Augustinianism is essential. Summing up, well before classical Greece and Rome, there arose macro trends associated with Phoenicia, globalization, capitalism, and corporation. In the origins of globalization, Moore and Lewis observed that the achievement of Tyre and Punic Carthage was to expand world trade and to, at the same time, to shift the center of finance and high culture westward. The Cambridge History of Capitalism is introduced by Larry Neal. He cites the primacy of Phoenicia's market-driven capitalism and long-distance trade reaching the Atlantic. Moore and Lewis in Birth of the Multinational hold forth that the merchants of Tyre created the first multinational business organization on an intercontinental scale. These trends originated in Mesopotamia Yet it was the commercial activities of the Phoenicians that laid the economic and cultural bases of the Western world. Most important, classical historian Burkert, uh, mentioned earlier, identifies the expansion of both maritime commerce and the alphabet literacy by Phoenicia as the determining factors that, quote, caused the center of civilization to shift westward from the Near East to the Mediterranean, unquote. First arose the civilizations of Carthage and Greece, followed by Etruria, that was the Etruscans, and finally Rome. The alphabet is considered the preeminent contribution of the Phoenicians for the establishment of Western civilization. Clearly, the Greek intellectual achievement would not have been possible, nor could it have been recorded for future generations of literate Europeans without the egalitarian script. Similarly, it allowed for both Hebrew and Greek writing of the Christian Bible. Alphabetical order is used to organize information. Furthermore, the letters are a phonetic code that stimulate rational and abstract thought. To conclude, the Phoenician Iron Age specialist Hans Niemeyer abstracts how this most ancient people in effect sparked Western civilization. First, the specific experience of archaic Greece. The Phoenician transfusion of Eastern goods, technologies, and ideas that in turn became the foundations of Greco-Roman civilization.
civilization. Secondly, the pan-Mediterranean influence, the propagation of technical innovation in the distribution of new aristocratic paradigms and, quote, modern economics, unquote. Very good. Very good. This is absolutely phenomenal. I think that many of our subs are going to really enjoy this. I feel like it really gives you a really great economic history of two of the most important groups in our history, which would be, of course, the Phoenicians and then later the Carthaginians. That's really, really great. I'm going to include links below to your works, um, including your book, too. I think that'd be pretty awesome, actually. But no, I think you I think you really covered quite a bit. Honestly, Um, you brought up several points that I hope that you would. Uh, one thing you mentioned that I actually did not even know, primarily because of my own ignorance or a uh, lack of study on the subject, I did the use of uh, light towers in the Punic Wars. I had not known that. Light that tower. is interesting. There's a little bit of the debate. There's a little bit of debate on that whether the you know the famous lighthouse in Alexandria of the Greeks, the Pharo, because of the P, but uh, it's quite possible that the the Carthaginians were because there's a lot of uh, remain archaeological remains of things, and it looks like they're lighthouses, like towers and stuff like that. But it, it's a matter of debate whether the Carthaginians were first or Greek, the Greeks were first in making lighthouses. But oh, during oh. Punic War later, when I mentioned Punic Wars, that was l- later on after both both had both had them, but yeah. they were used as an optical, as I mentioned, they were a, a network of, of yeah. lighthouses. I mention it in that in that respect as a network of lighthouses. I don't say that they invented lighthouses. Oh yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, I had just uh, I had never actually thought of it. Uh, I had never even known that they used them throughout the uh, the conflict. I had no idea. That's interesting. Shows I definitely need to read more. That's for sure, huh? Um, I'm glad that you also brought up the uh, Phoenician alphabet being adopted by the Greeks because of the Greek Dark Ages, uh, and they slowly lose this capability of reading and writing and what they had been doing. So I was glad you brought that up. I feel like the few times that uh, several of the history podcasts that I work with on YouTube and a few times that I brought them up in just private conversations, most people that I talked to hadn't actually realized that. And so it's pretty cool that you brought that up as well. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for joining us here today. That concludes our presentation. And I wanted to say a special thank you to Dr. Scott for coming on here and giving us an excellent economic history involving the Phoenicians and the Carthaginian Empire. Ladies and gentlemen, I hope you enjoyed this today. And Dr. Scott, we appreciate you coming on so very much. Oh, well, I was glad I could share my research with your audience. I definitely appreciate that. And ladies and gentlemen, thank you all so much and have a wonderful night.